Fox is saying, we told her we were not representing her. We were representing Fox. The problematic thing is when you're preparing a client for a deposition, the only thing you can do is talk about the form or the manner of responding. You can't change the substance. So if, if you're called as my client to testify in a deposition, and I know that you know in a car accident case the light was green, I can't tell you, no, 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 say the light was red. I can't do that. I can't change the substance of your testimony. What they, what they allegedly did here, the attorneys for Fox, was change the focus of her testimony so that she would take the responsibility for the false reporting and not Carlson and not the other reporters. Well, yeah. And I guess she got to the point where she's saying, hey, you know, one, it wasn't my fault. And two, you can't make me take the blame for it. And three, I'm not going to lie for you guys. And you also were sexually harassing me. <laughs> yes, that's true. That all is true. Right. But, but it all comes back to why is Fox doing this? They're trying to get out of the Dominion defamation case. So Dominion, the maker of the, um, the voting machines, is suing Fox because Fox made false representations on air about Dominion. And so Fox is trying to displace the blame and now put it on Grossberg. Well, what I thought was interesting, too, is because one of the things that came out recently was that the head of the Fox network, Rupert Murdoch, even he said that he knew that what they were saying was not true. And kind of the test for whether or not something is legitimately news or whether or not you have libeled or slandered somebody and ruined their reputation is if you say something that's not true and you knew it wasn't true and you said it anyway, whether or not you meant to hurt the person doesn't matter. It's just it's just that you said it, you knew it was false, you said it anyway. And that's what the allegation is too. So the idea that they would be trying to lay this off on this low-level person when the owner of the network even admits that he knew that what they were saying wasn't true. That's correct. That seems a little sketchy to me. Well, what you're saying is there, there are two different types of defamation depending upon who's defamed. So if I'm saying false statements about Gene, if I know it's false, then that's it. Then I've defamed you. Truth is an absolute defense. If it's not truthful, then I lose. On the other hand, if you're a public figure, I have to be reckless in my disregard of the of the truth, of malice, right? Okay. Uh, absence of malice. And so Dominion is not a public figure. So the fact that Murdoch knew it was a lie, the fact that Tucker Carlson knew it was a lie, dooms them in the defamation suit, which is why they're trying to put the blame on her to say, well, she told us to do this. That's interesting to me that you say that this company, Dominion, that they wouldn't be considered a public figure because, a I mean, they're really figure, big company. No, uh, it's not about company. It's about uh, generally about elected officials or or uh, people who seek the public spotlight. Oh, I see. Okay. So they'd just be considered like a kind of a private operation. Correct. And, a and, person. Just and, a person. And so what you said about them wouldn't rise to that same level as if I were to get on the air and say nasty things about Donald Trump. I mean, he's a public figure, right? Right. But if you just said nasty things about Donald Trump and you didn't know if they were true or false, you would likely be protected. But if you knew they were false, you would have to be reckless in that in that regard because he's a public figure. Right. But if, if I said 
falsehoods about you, then that's just a regular standard. Did I know it was false? Not whether I'm reckless in that regard. And, you know, looking at this Fox situation, it's getting pretty nasty because she made the allegation like they wanted me to lie. I didn't want to do it. And besides, they were sexual harassing me and they want me to take the fall. And then they're coming back and saying, no, she wasn't a good employee. We gave her a promotion and then she's not any good at that. We gave her a bad review and and back and forth. It seems to me that they're trying to smear her reputation, too. That's a common tactic. Uh, if if a person is saying bad things about you or your company, uh, the common tactic is to say, well, they're a bad person. They're a bad employee. They're not believable. Now, uh, in all the jurisdictions where her case arises, that is New York and Delaware, there are whistleblower statutes, and they protect her if she's made a valid complaint about wrongdoing, illegality then she's protected. Yeah. And that was really one of the reasons why I wanted to have the conversation today. I mean, all this is going on at a very high level in a different state. And it's, you know, it's a big case involving a big national network. But I would imagine that here close to home, there are probably lawsuits that happen every day where an employee is asked to go testify about something. And they feel pressured by their employer and then and and they're caught kind of in the middle of that. And I'm not sure whether Ohio has the same kind of whistleblower protection and whether that would even that whether that would even apply. And like, let's say I worked for a machine shop. OK, let's just make up an example. I work for a machine shop and somebody got their hand cut off in an industrial accident and I was standing by and I saw it. And and I know it was because the managers were cutting corners or something like that. And I go into the deposition and their attorneys are there and they say, don't say anything about the hand, (laughs) you know? And so, but if I know that it was their fault and I wanted to say something, would I be protected by a whistleblower statute here in Ohio? Yes. Now the, the actions are being brought in uh, New York and Delaware and both New York and Delaware have whistleblower statutes as does Ohio. As, as long as you can establish as the whistleblower that you were reporting a violation of either a state or federal law, you're protected. You're protected in the sense you can't be fired or, you know, diminished in any way. And I so see. the whole, whole idea behind whistleblower statutes are to encourage people to come forward because it's insider information to come forward with it. The risk is if you're wrong about being a violation, you may not be protected. The second thing to that is the lawyers have a huge responsibility. They have to tell her, as Fox has alleged, that we're not representing you as an individual. We're representing you as an employee of Fox. She's disputing that. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. And the other thing, and and maybe this isn't a legal issue, but to me, it would be kind of a practical issue. Let's say... I'm involved in a whistleblower situation and the law's on my side and I get to keep my job. Would I really want to go back and work at that same company where they've already pressured me and now I'm known as the black sheep? I mean, well, that would be bad. You, you might not be able to keep your job. Even if you kept your job, you might not be able to keep it for very long. That's a very practical consideration, a very realistic consideration. One of the things she's done in her complaint against Fox alleging sexual harassment, and she's outlined the whole history of prior sexual misconduct cases against Fox. So what they're doing, what her counsel is doing, is they're saying, look, 
here's here's a pattern and she fits right in that pattern and um, i mean my recommendation if i were advising a a female reporter uh, i'd look at cbs abc or nbc i wouldn't look at fox it's it's a hostile environment Oh, I see. If you were it's if you were toxic, her and she was engaged in this action, you might say, "Well, let's get yeah, let let's let's get you out of this situation and let's find you someplace else." But obviously, she's got an interest in seeing this through now because now they're saying she's no good at her job. So she's a liar and she's no good at her job. Right, and so if they were saying that, and then her best recourse after this is all over is to go get a job someplace else she's got to make sure to prove that what they were saying about her not being any good is is false because who who's going to take her on now if she's considered to be a uh, a black sheep or or somebody who who talks out of school right she's tainted right well and that happens to women all the time i mean it's it happens not all it's, the time. It, it happens it's, all the time it's not like it's an isolated incident no i mean if you if you are if you're in an organization and you are forthright and adamant about your position, normally, if you're a male, that's considered to be a strength. In some organizations, I'm not saying all, but in some organizations, if the woman does that, the woman is considered to be a, an obstructive individual, not a team player. That's a very common accusation. Well, it is. And, you know, it plays into what this one of the reasons why women make a whole lot less money than men. I mean, they've been keep down systemically for years. So I understand that uh, getting back around to your point, having to do with legal ethics and the way these attorneys around Donald Trump or around other public figures are acting these days. The question that I would have is if it can be shown that these particular attorneys, let's say in this Fox situation, that they really did advise her to say something that wasn't true. Could they be prosecuted for suborning perjury? They could be, but more likely what would happen is a disciplinary complaint would be lodged against them. Uh, look at Giuliani. Suspension could result, uh, disbarment could result. So these lawyers forgot the rules. The rules are you don't lie and you don't urge your client to lie. And having forgotten the rules, they may be subject to very severe disciplinary reactions from their Supreme Court. In general, what you hear a lot of times in these situations, instead of people actually telling an outright falsehood, they would say something like, well, I don't recall. And to the best of my recollection, I don't remember, you know, stuff like that, right? That's very common, and that, that happened in Watergate as well. But uh, here's, the, here's the issue for the attorney. If I'm preparing you for a deposition and you tell me in the accident case, yeah, well, I saw the light, it was red. I can't say to you, well, maybe your memory is not that good. Maybe you should say, I don't recall. I can't do that. And I also can't tell you, well, say it was green. I can't, I can't do that. I mean... Are you going to do that if, if there's a lot of money riding as the attorney? Perhaps, but then you've forgotten the rules. So if you had to then advise either A, clients, let's say people that work at a company, and B, the attorneys that are preparing them, what would you say your best advice is as we wrap up today then? I would say a couple of things. Number one, if the client or the, or the witness in the deposition has any criminal liability, in other words, the question is asked, did you 
commit arson against this building to get insurance. Well, that's a Fifth Amendment privilege. You assert your privilege. And we, and we saw that in a lot of the January 6 hearings. I declined to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate me. And you can do that in a civil proceeding. Uh, ultimately, what you do is when preparing your witness, you talk to the witness about his or her testimony. You write it down so you know what's going to be said. And you prepare them with the questions. But the questions can't be phrased in such a way that you're going to allow the witness or client to lie. Okay, I got it. And then as the client, then I have some rights to say what I want to say or what I need to say as opposed to what they want me to say, right? Correct, correct. And I think in Grossberg's situation, should have set off alarms when these Fox attorneys come to her and say, by the way, you were representing Fox Corporation and we'll prepare you for the deposition. I think I would have said, we're done. If I were she, we're done. I'm hiring my own lawyer. I'm going to get independent and adequate information from my lawyer, not from Fox's lawyers. And, you know, I think that's really hard for people to do because in her situation, she's described as a pretty low level staffer. It's not like she's got millions of dollars to hire an attorney. Um, but I guess from your perspective, and I guess even from mine, it's like it's it's even if you had to spend a whole year's salary, it'd be worth it, right? It'd be worth it. But knowing the history of Fox that she knew, I mean, I, I guess I don't understand why she would trust Fox. Fox's history is an example of self-preservation. We're going to protect ourselves. We're going to protect Murdoch. We're going to protect the corporation. And we will get rid of people who are a risk to that reputation. 